Welcome to AdultBibleStories.com, a vicarious God and his vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump throughout the Bible, so anybody who's new to the Bible, who's intimidated by reading the Bible, doesn't know where certain scriptures are, but have heard them and like to know if it's really there, this is the place to be, this is the place to listen, this is the place to go. AdultBibleStories.com. Today we're in Titus, so we're going to hop, skip, and jump through Titus, which means we're not doing every word, every verse. We're just pulling out phrases and scriptures here and there so we can uh, get through it and give you a general overview so that you maybe have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God yourself and dive in yourself because there's only one teacher, which is the Holy Spirit. He teaches us all things. Jesus did give gifts some to the church, which apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to help help in the ministry. But ultimate, our teacher is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not teaching, then man certainly can't teach you anything the Holy Spirit's not teaching. So let's hop, skip, and jump and start in the book of Titus. It says, Paul, servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And here's the part I want to pull out. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. You know, everything in a, as a Christian relies on the foundation, the hope of eternal life. Jesus endured the cross by seeing the joy that was laid up you know, after the cross, which is eternal life. Everything's need to be eternal life. If we're caught up in the care of this world and the deceitfulness of all the things going on down here, then we're not going to have a firm foundation. Jesus says, if you build your house upon this rock, which is him, then when the storms come, you'll not be, you know, you'll not be leveled. But people will build their houses no matter how strong or how sound the structure is. If they build it on sand, it's going to be leveled. And he's talking about, you know, eternal life that does have some meaning for here or now, but it's meaning about eternal life. There's a lot of people that build sound sound lives, but on sand, and when they die, their whole house sinks because they didn't put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as, 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 as Lord of their life. And so we want to build upon the rock. We want to have faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. So whatever you're believing for, we need to make sure it's resting on eternal life, which God, who does not lie, so if you ever wanted to know Everybody, you know, somebody said something. Is there anything that God cannot do? Well, God cannot lie. If God was ever to lie, it'd become truth to us because God cannot lie. So God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So God promises before the beginning of time, which tells us several things. One, that time is a creation of God. God is an eternity. One thing I hope to write, you know, in the next year or so about eternity, about time, about light. Because God created time. In eternity, there is no passing of time. Um, time you know, there's, in, in eternity, things are the way they are. They stay the way they are. They cannot change. That's why God cannot change because he's in eternity. And why would he change? There is nothing for God to change because he's perfect in everything he says, everything he does, everything he thinks. He's perfect. But he created time so there can be a passing of time, so there can be change, and so there can be decisions. So they can, I, you know, I give, I set before you life and death. Choose, you know, choose life, and we have time to choose, make that decision. But eternity, there is no choice. That's why you don't want to go to hell, a devil's hell, because hell is an eternity where there is no passing time. You cannot get off for good behavior. You cannot get off for, you know, serving your time because there is no time in hell. Once you go to hell, you are what you are forever and ever. No passing time, no days, no hours, no marking of days, you know, and so forth. And the same thing with heaven. 
One, but one day that God is, you know, going to put those who go to heaven, you know, back into time so that we can continue to grow because there is no growing. Once again, there is no changing, you know, in eternity. So God created time so that we can ever grow and ever grasp his knowledge and, and grow more like him forever and ever. So that book should be out sometime in this, you know, probably two, uh, 2020. Okay, and it goes on and talks about, uh, and this pointed season brought us uh, his word delight through the preaching entrusted to me. If you're called to be a preacher, you know, then then the word of God, God's got to be able to trust and trust his word to you. He's got to trust that you're not going to use his word to uh, beat people up. He's got to trust that you're not going to be a Bible thumper. He's got to trust that you're not going to use his word to, for, you know, selfish gain, for profitable gain. Not to mean that, you know, uh, um, a, a preacher shouldn't make money for preaching and teaching because because it should the scriptures that say that too but not for that's your that is your number one reason for preaching your number one reason for doing out there is, is for a job and so forth so let's hop skip and jump we're staying in Titus of course chapter 1 hallelujah and we're going down to verse right before verse 10 so verse 9 the last part of verse 9 <clears throat> excuse me it says so that he can Encourage others to sound doctrine, refute those who oppose it. So sound doctrine, there's sound doctrine and there's unsound doctrine. There's a whole lot of unsound doctrine in our United States of America Christian churches. Doctrine that's not sound. Doctrine that's going up and down because you're you know, good for one person but not good for somebody else. We, we hear more and more says, well, this is, this is my truth. Well, <laughs> truth is truth no matter who it is. I mean, it can't be your truth and be, and be falsehood to somebody else. It's got to be truth for everybody. Sound doctrine is true for everybody. God has no respect for persons. God didn't say that it's okay for you to do this, but not okay for you. So sound doctrine is, is it means it's going to be truthful for everyone and refute those who oppose it. So not only a preacher is supposed to teach sound doctrine, but they're supposed to refute those who oppose it. And there's a lot of preachers who don't want to get off into the areas of uh, where... Where there's this, you know, where there's division, or where areas that people that are completely wrong or have, you know, have unsound doctrine, they, so they just want to stick in this little box where nobody gets upset, and then the the power of the cross is pretty much nullified by, by the traditions of men, because they because they want to do teach town soccer, but they don't want to refute those oppose it. They just want to be friends of everybody, and and Jesus, who was the friendliest person ever was. You know, and be, try to befriend everybody, which means beforehand, he said, you know, handed out hands that, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. But to, to, to receive Christ as a friend, you've got to receive his thoughts. You've got to receive his ways. You've got to receive his words. And, and, uh, and if we don't teach that kind of stuff, then we're just going to have pseudo-Christians. Verse 10 says, for there are many rebellious people. How many rebellious? Some rebellious people. A few rebellious people. No, it says many, many rebellious people. Mere talkers, so rebellious people, love to talk. And deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. So many rebellious people who like to talk and deceivers, especially of the circumcision group. The circumcision group, you know, was a time that uh, during Paul's time, Jesus' time, that... Uh, that really gave themselves to the thoughts that you know that Abraham um, got in covenant with God through the through his uh, circumcision, and so they stand that way. They were standing in Paul's day, saying, "Unless a person is circumcised, then they cannot be in covenant with God. It's required required to enter the kingdom of God. It's required to enter heaven." And of course, 
Paul was saying that's that's not right. You can't have an outer appearance of Christianity, an outer appearance of God, and be saved. It's not it's not a work of ourselves. You know, we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. There's nothing we can do. And but this group of people back in were making it more of an outer appearance, and their heart was far from God. Remember, Jesus rebuking them says, "You you know, your 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 mouth speaks something, but your hearts are far from me. Your mouth gives me praise, but your hearts are far from me." And that's the same thing today. The circum there's still a circumcision group nowadays. You know, it's not about, you know, men being circumcised, but it's more about an outer appearance, meaning you're doing all the outer works of Christianity, but your mind is not on God, your heart's not on God. I saw this one thing on Facebook one time talking about this is, you know, religion. If, you know, if you're out fishing and thinking about God or, or you're in church thinking about fishing, well, if you're thinking about God, you're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're, that's a good thing. But if you're in church thinking about fishing, then you're not even in church, even though you're physically there. You have an outward appearance of holiness, but denying the power thereof. You're not, you're not, you know, trying to give yourself over to God. You're not trying to become like Him. You're not giving, yielding yourself over to the power of God, which is, which is the grace of God to change all of us, all of us from the inside out. So there are many people that have an outer appearance rather than have, having a, an eternal or internal internal change. So they may have eternal life. You must have an internal change. Going to church is not enough. In fact, it adds nothing to it, you know, in and, in and of itself. You've got to, you, you go to church because you want, because you love God, you love people, you want to grow in his teachings, you want to grow in knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can walk a daily life, so that you can be taught how to reach people in your, in your neighborhood or in your uh, area of life. But the circumcision group is always about outer appearances. They're always talking about how much money they're given or, or if they're going to church or how much Bible they're reading or, or they love to pray, you know, in public. They love to do all these outer things, but their heart's not on God. They're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about people. They're not thinking about eternal life. They're just thinking about here and now and what's going to profit me here and now. And I got to maintain this appearance. Like King Saul in the Old Testament, God told him to do certain things through Samuel. He didn't do those things. And Samuel came to him, rebuked him, and and of course Saul was saying, "Well, please come with me, you know, so that you know, so we can go make a sacrifice to the Lord, and so the people are still with me." He just was wanted to maintain an outer appearance of being in right with God when his heart was not right with God, and we don't want to be that way. We want to be right with God because we love God, but first because He first loved us. So let's hop and skip down to verse thirteen. It says this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, so they will be sound. In the faith. So not only talking about sound doctor, but now he's talking about sound in the faith, sound in faith. And I know a lot of people that are, that are not sound in faith are believing all kinds of things, but it's not based on the word of God. It's not based on an eternal word of God. And when God says something, you know, it it's eternal. Uh, what God says is not return to Him void, but we need, but He, well, we need to make sure He says it. There's people that put try to put words in God's mouth, but it's not in Scripture. It's not you know sound faith. It's not sound doctrine. So he's talking about rebuke them sharply. So not just rebuke them, which is a hard enough word, but he says do so sharply. Some people can't be encouraged, and all of us have places like that. All of us need to be rebuked sharply. The scripture says that God chastises those who loves and even scourges them. There are times that God scourges me because I'm so blind to an area. He's got to rebuke me sharply to get my attention. So we shouldn't be feel you know condemned over it. We shouldn't feel less love from God when he rebukes it. We should feel more love. From God because he rebukes us. I remember hearing this, this story about my sister teaching, you know, my niece and nephew about, 
you know, if I love you, I'm going to correct you. And one day they're at the store and they're seeing it, some kids behave really bad from their parents. And all of a sudden my, you know, my young niece, you know, says, look, mom, that mom doesn't love her kids because she wasn't correcting her kids. She's letting her kids talk back to her and say all kinds of horrible things and, and, and really cause a scene, you know, and in the public, just really bad. But God rebukes those. He, he, he chastises those, even scourges those he loves so that we can be found blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. So it's rebuke them sharp, sharply so they be me sound in the faith. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. Now, this is kind of a hard scripture for me to grasp and ground because I, you know, I, um, well, just my personality kind of looks for, you know, problems. And, you know, and the reason God's created those certain personalities is, is to fix those problems before they become a problem. But, but spiritually, you know, in, in, our, in our being, all things are pure. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted, all things who do not believe, and nothing is pure. Do you know anybody who thinks nothing is pure? You might hear say, we're all sinners, so who do you think you are? And because they just, you know, somebody who's trying to walk circumspectly around God, someone who's, who's trying to walk a holier life before God because they're made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, you know, says, well, why are you even trying to do that? Why do you think you're judging me? Do you think you're perfect? Well, if everybody had to be perfect before they preached or taught or, or shared the gospel with them, then nobody could. But to those who are corrupted, they don't, you know, they don't see anything impure. They don't think anybody has a pure motive. They don't think anybody who is really kind. They don't think anybody who gives you know, um, sacrificially because they always have a motive. This is, this is who is talking about, those who are corrupt. They think everybody has an unpure motive, that nothing is pure, that the only person that is for themselves is, you know, for them is themselves. But to the pure, they think all things are pure. To the pure, they think they give the people the benefit of the doubt unless that doubt has been proven, you know, has been proven otherwise. They think everybody has, a, you know, has the right motive. They think everybody is saying they're speaking the truth until proven otherwise. Now we know that you know we're living in a fallen world. We know that nobody is good except for God, but we tend to give everybody the benefit of the doubt before you know before they prove themselves otherwise or you know as as true. Um, just uh, you know, let's go on. It says to the pure, all things appear, but to those who are corrupt, who do not believe, nothing is pure. Um, 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Now, that's a pretty bad thing, denying him. Denial. Denial is a horrible thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he came to take away our sins. And, all, and he's taken away every sin except for one. The only sin that Jesus crossed does not cover is the sin of denying who Jesus is, denying that Jesus is the Son of God, denying that Jesus came, you know, to take away our sins, denying that Jesus actually died on the cross. There's some people that, that you know, that believe that somebody else was went on the cross, that Jesus never died on the cross. But, you know, believing that Jesus is not the Son of God, they believe, you know, that he's a good teacher or a prophet, but he's not a Son of God. Denying, you know, that Jesus is Lord. Meaning, yeah, he's my savior. I hear this people all the time saying, well, he's my savior, but I haven't made him my Lord yet. Well, he's got to be your Lord because, you know, the scripture says, if you believe in Romans, you know, 8, 8, 8, 8 10, somewhere in that area. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if, if you're speaking out your mouth that Jesus is your savior, but not, not your Lord, then, then you're not speaking the truth. And I hope your doctrine is wrong and not your heart. 
Because if you're because if you're speaking from the heart, you know, and then you're really in trouble because that's the only because if you deny Jesus as Lord, deny him as a son of God, deny him as a sacrificial lamb that's taken away our sins. And this scripture right here, they claim to know God, but by their actions, deny him means, means you deny the Lord to clean up your life. There's a lot of people that think you just get saved. You're saved by grace. We're old sinners saved by grace. And so nothing changes in their life. Nothing at all. And so, so they deny Jesus as Lord in their life. Remember, Jesus says, if you deny men, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before God and his holy angels. And we see that, that, uh, that Peter actually was there when Jesus said that. And we find that Peter denied Jesus in front of a girl, in front of you know, men three times. But on the fourth time, when, when Jesus you know, rose from the dead and says, you know, tell uh, Peter and the disciples that I've risen, Peter did not deny Jesus that time, in fact, 50 days later, Jesus, I mean, Peter was in front of uh, 3,000, you know, many people, many people, not just 3,000, many people, but he told the truth to 3,000, uh, many people, <laughs> but 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Three people repented that day. So, but, but there's a lot of people who deny, won't deny Jesus in word. They'll say, well, Jesus is my Savior. They'll even say Jesus is Lord, but there is no fruit in their life whatsoever. There is no evidence that Jesus is Lord in their life. They're still doing the things they want to do. They're just tacking on Jesus and, you know, and, and giving him a bad name, you know, thinking everybody's thinking, you know, well, God is, you know, ordaining this. God is okay with this person acting the way they are. So they deny Jesus their opportunity to cleanse them from the inside out. And so you do not want to deny Jesus. You can speak Jesus all the time, but if you deny him, denying that his lordship, that he is Lord in your life, and, and lordship means doing what he's told you to do. Remember in Revelations that Jesus rebukes some churches, says, I, this, I have this, this is going well for you, this is going for where you, but this is what I have against you. See, as, as a Christian, in a Christian lifestyle, we don't go to the Ten Commandments. We don't look to the law of Moses to show us righteous or unrighteous. We go to Jesus, who, be, you know, who became sin, so we become the righteous of God. And because we go to a living God, to, a, to a Jesus who is alive and, you know, and speaking today through the Holy Spirit who's speaking, that we can be corrected on whatever is wrong. See, God is going to correct us on whatever we need to be corrected on. There's all kinds of things we need to be corrected on. You know, if God was to show you everything that you need to be corrected on right now, you just want to roll over and die and think that there's no way you just feel so condemned. But we're in a relationship. We're not in a religion. We're in a relationship, and relationships work things out. God shows us where we're being unfaithful. God is show, <coughs> excuse me, showing us what we need to do right. And so we work on that. We work on that. Then once we're finished there, we work on that. So when I say lordship, a lot of people say, well, you know, you're not, you know, it's, it's a matter of how, how can, you know, we be under lordship. You're calling about lordship salvation. No, you know, God's going to correct a, you know, or as a parent, you're going to correct a three-year-old differently than you're going to correct an eight-year-old differently. You're going to correct a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old. So lordship is not a set thing for everybody, but we all need to make Jesus as Lord or we're denying him in our life. So if you're a three-year-old and, you know, as a Christian, then you need to obey God and what you know to do. If you know what to do and don't do it, the scripture says it's a sin. You're not going to be held accountable for what light God has shared with me. And I'm not going to be held accountable for what light God has showed with you. But you will be held accountable for what you know to be true, even if you turned off that light. You cannot deny Jesus Christ as Lord in your life and expect one day to be in heaven. You don't change, you know, at death. You become, you're the same person 
before you take your last breath as when after you take your last breath. Whether you go to a devil's hell or you go to a savior's heaven in Christ Jesus. So let's hop and skip to chapter 2 of Titus. Uh, we're going down to the end of verse 5. Another phrase I want to pull out. So that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one will malign the word of God. So I'm in a hot uh, hot place right now. So it's nope, sweating here. So that no one will malign the word of God. You know, we want to live as Christians. We don't want to malign them. We don't want people to look at God as not the Savior. Look at God as less than, than He is. And our behavior, the words of our own mouth, many times can cause. In fact, we've all probably done it at some point where some people says, well, I thought you were a Christian. Now, there's always going to be some people, no matter how well we work, we, know, we work with the Holy Spirit to allow correct us and clean us our lives, there's going to be some people that never believe us. They're corrupt, we talked about it either. No matter what we do, they think we have, an, you know, uh, our selfish ambition or our turn of motive whatsoever. But we should live a life circumspectly for, you know, walking with God so we don't so we don't cause other people to stumble. We don't put up stumbling blocks. So we want to live for God so other people can look at our life and say, I want this God. And we're going to read about this here in a second. But many times we may say something, do something that causes people to think that maybe we don't know Christ as much as we said we do. That we don't know God because of the words that come out of our mouth or because of our behavior, because of our actions. So we want to walk circumspectly when, you know, in public. And of course, the only way to walk circumspectly in public or walk, you know, holy in public is also to do something, you know, in private. Because who we really are is, is in private. You want to know where you stand with God and what kind of person you really are is, is when you're in a place where you have no one, you know, to... Uh, um, you know, to, to, to impress. You have no one to impress. You're by yourself. That's who you really are. You know, we don't want to admit it, but many times when we're out in public or with somebody else, we keep things back. Maybe, you know, words we shouldn't say or behaviors because we want to impress and we want to think, we want people to think the best of us. But when there's nobody around to impress, then that's who we really are. So if you can keep your mouth and your thought life pure, you know, by yourself when you're, uh, when you're alone, then that's who you are. And it's also going to be who you are in public. So we don't want anybody to malign the word of God because of our behavior. We want everybody saved. And we go on to uh, the end of verse 10. It says, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And so that kind of goes along. We want to make people, you know, people want to look into our life and go, wow, you're a Christian. You know, I want to know this God because because of our lives because of our change of our life when i got saved people took notice you know sometimes people get saved and people you know stand back well let's wait and see but when i got saved everybody took notice i was a especially wicked sinner and so so people really took notice i was a new creation in christ jesus and 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 even you know some people that i hung out with when I, after i got saved i mean they even you know they even asked me even before i told them they even asked me who, who you are i've known you for you know many years you're not jeff you're not and you know so they noticed i became a new creation when we come in, when you get born again you get a new spirit you become a, you get a spirit that wants to know god you want to you get a spirit that wants to resist satan resist you know the flesh you know and it has a strength to do it through the grace of god and so my nature had changed so much from a sinner to wanting to be living for Christ that the people who knew me didn't know me anymore because I changed. And that's what we want to do is make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So is our life attractive? 
Does people want to say, what is different about you? And, and people want to say, I want to be more like you. I want to know your God. You know, people, we, we hand out a lot of times, we want to, you know, give people a bunch of uh, scriptures. And in and of itself, I guess, is not that bad. But people are not looking for doctrine. People have their own doctrine, their own ideology. You know, if I was to call you, and ask you about your television. I'm not asking for what size your television is. I'm not asking for the colors. I'm not asking for picture in picture. I'm not asking you about the specs. I'm asking you about your experience with that TV because I'm thinking about a money TV. So I want to know about your experience with that television. Well, the same thing without Jesus Christ. Many times we hand out a bunch of doctrines, a bunch of scriptures, and people are not asking for that. They're asking about did how is this jesus thing working for you i've asked people that how is this jesus thing working for you they're like uh is jesus working for you is god real in your life is your life being changed is your life being transformed you know uh is it is your life better at least on the inside even if your circumstances maybe have not changed but do you have more hope do you have more joy do you are looking forward for tomorrow because god is real in your life today and so when we share the gospel we want to make sure our or share our life because the gospel was in it, we'll make sure the teaching about God our Savior is attractive. For the grace, and it goes on in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So people, you know, people want to say, well, if, what if, you know, somebody doesn't hear about Jesus Christ or they're going to go to hell? Well, it says the grace of God has appeared to all men. And one time we're going to get in Romans and, and other books, we're just going to talk about that even nature itself describes God. Even the skies describe God and give the gospel and, and so forth. Anybody can look into the world and say there's, there's, there had to be you know, a creator of this. This just didn't happen. You know, you've got to you know, conform your mind to, to, tech, you know, to intellectual stupidity to believe that there is no God. You know, at least even atheists believe that they're the God because why would they spend, why would they even tag themselves to believing in something, uh, you know, or stating something that they don't believe in? I mean, who does that kind of stuff? There are people out there who have no thoughts of God and they're the true atheists because they don't give God a time of day. But at least the atheists are given some time because they're thinking about how to disprove that there is a God. But even the whole creation declares that there is a God. And so it says, so that's the grace of God. The grace of God is you're not dead after your first sin. You're not, God is not out to kill you. God is not out to, you know, to shed your blood. He shed the blood of Jesus. All the wrath of God is put on upon Jesus. And the only wrath that's going to, you know, left of God is the wrath that's going to be poured upon sin and the rejection of Jesus one day. But right now, God is not angry with you. He's not pouring out his wrath on you. He's not, uh, you know, seeking blood. All the blood that he sought was found in Jesus Christ. And, and that was enough for those to come to God in Jesus Christ. So the, God, so the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. So what does the grace of God do? It teaches us to say no. You know, the first definition, that when you ask people what's the grace of God, they say the unmerited favor of God. That is true, but that's not the first definition. If you were to look at, pull up a dictionary and look at certain words, they have a first definition a lot of times, a second, third, fourth, and sometimes more than that. Well, the grace of God teaches us to say no. No what? No to what? To ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age how do you know if you receive the grace of god because you have the ability to say no and keep that no as a no and and to overcome those things that yesterday that you couldn't say no or if you did say no you still your body said yes have you ever, have you ever said that say no but your body said yes with the grace of god helps you say no submit yourself to god resist the devil 
and he will flee. Well, it's the grace of God that allows you to submit to God. It's the grace of God that allows you to resist the devil. And it's the grace of God that sends the devil on his way. And, and, and upright and godly lives in this present age. It goes on. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is one place where it actually calls Jesus Christ God. There's a doctrine or, or unsound doctrine. We talked about sound doctrine earlier. There's an unsound doctrine that says that Jesus is not God. That Jesus never claimed to be God. Now right here it says our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, now if you know anything about, you know, about the English, uh, um, you know, the English, English language and using, you know, using commas and so forth. Says a great God and Savior, comma Jesus Christ. Great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's not saying God and Savior than the Son Jesus Christ. Is actually saying is saying that God and Savior is Jesus Christ. Now God, is, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. You know they they don't they don't differ in, in you know in, in ideology. They don't differ in in the law. They don't differ in grace. They have the same ambition to save us, to bring us into fellowship, to bring us in into glorious hope. But it says, "Great God and Savior Jesus Christ." If you were to come over and says, "I'm going to give you you know for breakfast, we're going to have a ham and ham and uh, ham and egg sandwich, ham and egg egg sandwich." So you come over and you're expecting a ham and egg sandwich. You're expecting a bread with ham and egg between it. But if I would say come over and have a ham, comma, and egg sandwich, you're going to get ham on the side and an egg sandwich because that comma separates those two. That's part of the English language. The glorious appearance of a great God and Savior, comma, Jesus Christ. So that's not separate. If it said our great God, comma, and Savior, Jesus, comma, Jesus Christ, and that would mean God and then Savior Jesus Christ. But since there's no comma, it says great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He's not the Father. because <laughs> We're not going to go into all that. I'll go into that you know, on onekingdom.tv probably in the next year over that doctrine. Verse 15, it says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Encourage and rebuke. Once again, encourage, rebuke. There's two sides. You can't just do one. You know, if all you're doing is encouraging, then you're letting your people down. You're letting people down because you're not giving any correction whatsoever. You just think, well, people just have the right heart. They're going to want to be corrected. You know, as, as, as being saved and born again, we want to be corrected, but we live in a deceitful world and we often have blind spots our, ourselves. So we need to be corrected. Every one of us need to be corrected at times so we don't do the wrong thing. Because once we turn off the dark, there's no light, and we walk in darkness, and you know, and we have blind spots. If you're driving a car, you have blind spots. If you're a Christian, you have blind spots. You know, so we, we need other people to to encourage and rebuke us. But the other people that all they do, they think their ministry is all about rebuking. There is no encouragement; it's just complete rebuking. And all you're doing is putting heavy loads on people and not lifting a finger yourself, which Jesus rebuked the Pharisees that Pharisees about. Says you have the keys, the kingdom of God, and you won't let anybody in, and you won't go in yourself. So if all if you so if you have a preacher or somebody around you that's always rebuking you but never encouraging you, get away from them, because they're not any help to you. You know, they may be saying the right things. They may be saying the right things as far as things they shouldn't be doing. But if they're not encouraging and they're not helping you, then you need to get away with them. Get away from them. And in the same, same way, if all somebody all is doing is encouraging you, but they're never correcting you, never rebuking you, never telling you that you need to stop doing that, that there's a better way, that Christ Jesus has met a better way, you need to get away from them too. Because 
you know, uh, I think there's a scripture that talks about, uh, in Proverbs, talks about your enemy will kiss you, but a brother, you know, will bring, you know, uh, bring pain. And so you want somebody who's, who's going to do the right thing, even if it causes you pain. You don't want just somebody to kiss you. If everybody is for you, if everybody's always for you but never correcting you, that's, they're just a bunch of yes people. Do you really want a bunch of yes people around you and going down, a, you know, and headed to a cliff? Don't you want somebody to tell you that this, this road is out? Don't you want somebody to yank you by the nap of your neck to say you're going in the wrong direction? Of course you do. The same time you want somebody to encourage you we're all looking for encouragement right we all need to be encouraged so we need somebody who's going to encourage us we also need somebody who's going to rebuke us and hopefully we are well-balanced people that we know when to encourage and we know when to rebuke so it's encourage and rebuke of all authority do not let anyone despise you. don't let anybody despise you don't let anybody despise you as a minister don't let anybody despise you as a christian what does that mean does that mean get in a fight does it mean knock somebody down because they're despising you but no it means don't let their opinion of you get inside you don't let what they say about you change who you are because the only th- the only thing that matters is what God says about you, how God created you. are made the rights of God in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. You're not, made, you're not perfect yet. You're still working out troubles. You're still working out things in your life. But don't let anybody despise you because you haven't reached there. Even Paul says, I haven't reached that place yet. So, so don't let what somebody says, a negative that's completely against you. So, well, you're not a Christian until you do this and do this and do this and do this. Don't let him despise you on where you are in your Christian life. If you're first born again, you're going to have some issues. You're going to, going to have messes in your pants. You are going to spit up. You're going to spit out some certain, certain things. You're not going to be able to handle meat yet. You're only going to handle the sincere milk of the, of the Word of God. So let don't anybody despise you because you're not where they are. And if you are a mature Christian, don't try to put your prayer life and your Bible reading on, on a new Christian that they need to read three or four hours a day and they need to pray four or five hours. They need to pray for all these things. Don't put what it, what an 18-year-old can do on a, you know, on an eight-year-old or on a three-year-old. We're all in a place. So don't let anybody despise you. And, uh, and the same thing, you know, if you are an immature Christian, don't let somebody who's not immature despise you and thinking that you're all legalistic because you're obeying, obeying God, you know, through, through the grace of God. Chapter 3, it says, uh, remind the people to be subject to rules and authority. So if you're wondering where that is, this is, one, this is only one of the places where it tells us to be uh, subject to the rules of authority. That doesn't mean be subject to every demand they do because if it's against the word of god it's against what god says and we shouldn't do those things but if it's if god doesn't really say anything about it or it's not a sin then we need to be subject to the rules and authorities to be obedient to, to be ready to do whatever is good to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good if you're one of those people you know somebody says you know what are you gonna will you come help me or will you come help at the church and you say well i, I need to pray about it if, if that is always your default answer let me pray about it then this then you're not ready to do whatever is good it shouldn't take praying all the time it shouldn't take a, a prayer session to do what is good you should be living in prayer you should be having a life of prayer so that when a good opportunity presents itself when a time to help us fill a brother in, in need or the church in need you should be able to respond quickly to be ready to do whatever is good and to slander no one we shouldn't be slandering well you may say well what if this what if the what if it's slander is true what if somebody needs to hear but it says to slander no one it's go on it doesn't just stop us slander no one to be peaceable and considerate to be considered and to show true humility towards all men how would you like to be slandered 
what if it's true? What if you did something that you regret? What if you said something at a spur of a moment that you didn't mean to say? Would you want somebody to continue to slander and, and tell everybody what you did? Or would you rather somebody be considerate and possibly, maybe, you know, thinking that you didn't really mean to do that, that you got caught in the heat of the moment and, and, and out of an anger outburst, you said something that you now regret? Do you want to be some, somebody considerate of what you did wrong? Well, you know, you reap what you sow. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to sow, you know, may consider somebody else and not slander somebody else, even if it's true, not pass it on, even if it's true, because you want to consider that person that maybe they didn't mean to do that. Maybe they were conjoled into it. Maybe, you know, they had a moment of despair and said something that they regret saying. And to show true humility towards all men. How do you show true humility? There is no temptation in common to man. When another person falls in sin, you're capable of falling in that sin. I know some of you are going, oh, uh, uh-uh. I'm not, I'm not capable. I will never have an abortion. I will never commit homosexuality. I'll never do those things. Well, by the grace of God, you might not do those things. But if the grace of God was not in your life, if you had the same circumstance as somebody else, we don't know what you do. We know that two people can grow up in the same environment. One choose the wrong and one choose, you know, choose the other way. But you don't know what you do. There is no temptation in common to man. You shouldn't think so highly of yourself because you haven't done that. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the, the publican and the, and the Pharisee? The Pharisee came in and said, thank God I'm not like that other person. Thank God I'm not like them. I tithe and, you know, and fast twice a week. Well, well, thank God I haven't had an abortion. Thank God I'm, you know, I've never committed a sin of homosexuality and so forth. Well, thank God you haven't done those things. But if you think you're a better person because you haven't committed those sins, what about all the other sins you have committed? All of us have fallen short of the glory of God in Christ, you know, falling short of the glory of God and only in Christ Jesus are we righteous we have no rights of our own our own righteousness is that as a filthy rags so we need to have humility and people are falling in something that we don't think we could ever fall because maybe the you know we haven't been pressured in that area what if we pressured in that area over and over and over in, in situations then that doesn't mean we just need to let sin go and say well I'm not going to say anything because I don't understand them no we need to be there with both encouragement they don't sin and correction if they continue to sin we need both those things the scripture says the church grew in the book of acts the church grew through the fear of the lord and the comfort of the holy spirit we need the fear of the lord and we need the comfort of the holy spirit we need correction and we need encouragement both those things keep us from going off in the ditch sometimes you go bowling you might find you know there's uh, things in the gutter so you can't have a gutter ball well, we need that as a Christian, too. We need to have the fear of the Lord in one side of the ditch. We don't fall in the ditch. In the other side of the ditch, we need to have, you know, encouragement so we don't fall on that side of the ditch. So we stay on the road because we have the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We have encouragement on one side and we have correction on the other side so we do not go off into the ditch. Okay, and it goes on to say in verse 3, it says, Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We all have passions and pleasures we're enslaved with before we became a Christian. And even after Christian, there's certain things we have to cast off. It says, put off the old man and put on the new man. Uh, let's go on. We only have a few minutes left. Let's see. He saved us, end of verse 5, he saved us through... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, he, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through, through Jesus Christ our Savior. He saved us through what? The washing of the, of, and rebirth and renewal. So that once rebirth is talking about Jesus, said, you must be born again. Remember talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So he got to be born again. You know, nowadays we hear another flavor of Christian. I'm a born again Christian. And why do people say in that? Used to, if you ask a Christian, yeah, I'm a Baptist. Yeah, I'm a Methodist. Yeah, I'm a 
Episcopalian. That used to be the flavor of Christianity, but now people are going to say, well, I'm a born-again Christian because there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but there is no fruit in their life. They don't know anything about being born again. They don't know anything about losing your sin nature and receiving a righteous nature through Christ Jesus. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal. So we need washing, we need rebirth, and we need renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be renewed. Our mind needs to be renewed. Be not, you know, conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewal of our minds. We need a continual renewal. We need to re renewal every day. It says our, uh, um, you know, doctors say our bodies renew our bodies every seven years. We lose every, every, you know, fleck of skin, you know, a speck of skin, I guess, or whatever, cell of skin. And we have brand new skin every seven, you know, every seven years. The same thing in our spirit, in our, our soul. Our spirit doesn't change. Our spirit is perfect, but our soul needs to be renewed to the point that, you know, every few years the people are going, you know, I thought I knew you, but you've changed so much. I need to get, I need to get to know you again. And it says generously through our Jesus Christ, our the grace. At the end of verse eight, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Talking about scripture, the scripture is excellent and profitable for everyone. You know, every bit of the Bible, you know, some things are going, well, this is not good for me. This doesn't pertain to me. Yes, it does. Everything, every scripture is excellent and profitable for everyone. We go to verse 10. It says, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Do you have anybody in your life that no matter what you say, they take the other side? No, you know, even if they had took one side and changed your mind, they end up flipping back because they just want to be divisive. They just want to be right and then you be wrong. They want to lord over you rather than Jesus being lord. Well, you... It says, it says that person is divisive once and twice after a warning. Then, then you need to put them out of the life. I've had certain people, I say, you know, there's certain things we can't talk about. Even religion. There's, it says, you know, we can't talk about doctrine and religion because we're always being divisive. I know you're born again. I know you know Christ. But there's, we just can't talk about this thing if we want to have fellowship. And if that person, and I've had people that would take that, you know, and, and we become, you know, friends. There's just certain things we can't talk about. But there's other people that just want to keep on pushing. I've had to put them at arm's length. They're still a brother in Christ Jesus. I still see them as a brother. I still am looking forward to that day when we're all made perfect in Christ Jesus and on, on the other side of eternity. But for now, I really I got to put them out of my presence because all they want to do is be decide, you know, divisive, not decisive. They want to be divisive. The same thing with you. Okay, and verse 13 says, Do everything you can to help Zenos the, help Zenos the lawyer. So apparently lawyers can be saved. Now, come on, that's a joke here. I mean, lawyers can be saved, but it says they need help. They need help. You know, lawyers live in a corrupt society and corrupt world. The line is good for them. So this is help Zenos the lawyer, Apollos. And in verse 14, other people must learn to devote themselves by doing what is good. So you don't automatically, just because you're born again, automatically know how to devote yourself. Devote, devotion. What is what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to football? Are you, you know, devoted to your job? Are you devoted to your wife? You know, we're devoted to many things. We need to make sure our priorities and our devotions are in proper order. Our people must learn to devote themselves. When you become born again, you need to know what is priority and devote. You need to know that devoting yourself to God is number one priority. Devoting yourself uh, to uh, to your family is not you know number one you know it's not necessarily number two but if you don't vote yourself to god as your priority then you will spend the right time and do the right things for your family as well so our people must learn to devote themselves by doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives god wants us 
not to be dependent on the world. He doesn't want us dependent on the, on, on the government. Now, if you're on welfare, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but let's do what we can to get you off welfare. Let's get you, you know, on what Jesus Christ, get on to, on what he has made possible. He became poor to so become rich, you know, at least solvent. If you don't believe in having enough money to help your neighbor, then at least, you know, believe that God has enough so you're not dependent on, you know, an unbeliever, dependent on the government, dependent on this world, but dependent on God and God alone. So we not live unproductive lives. God wants us productive. There are many Christians and many people in this world that maybe something happened to you that you no longer can work in your field of choice. You know, that happens. And, you know, maybe you're in the military and, and, and you, you know, gave your legs or gave your arms or gave part of your body to fight for freedom. And now, what you grew up, you know, wanted to be, you, you can't be. But God does not want you to live unproductive life. He can retrain you. He can give you a different vision. He can give you different something else. In fact, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our veterans. I pray for those who gave their lives, uh, or parts of their bodies, you know, and I guess they gave their lives in a sense that they're still here, but they're losing hope. They're losing direction, Lord. I pray for them, Father, that you may reappoint them, Lord, that you may give them hope in a different direction, Father. They can live a productive life and, and, and that they don't, you know, they have more to give, Lord, because you empower them and you're infilling them with your Holy Spirit with vision and hope and direction and retraining them, Lord, so they continue to be productive, not only in this lifetime, but also in the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. God wants us to live productive lives. You may think that you don't have anything to give, but God has, you know, he's, God has given himself to you. So if you have Christ Jesus in your heart, then you have eternity to give. You have a whole lot to give because whatever, when you come in covenant with God in Christ Jesus, then everything that God has, he's willing to give you. It says, you know, Jesus told disciples, fear not for God wants to give you the kingdom of God. Righteous, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Everything that you need is in God. And if God is in you, then you have everything you need to live a productive and helpful and helpful life. It goes on in verse 50, at the end of verse 15. It says, grace be with you all. Grace remembers the power that comes. So the power of God, which is grace, to overcome all sin. AdultBobbleStories.com